This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. For me, one of the key ingredients to being a successful business owner, and we talked about this in last week's episode with Lisa Thomas, is being really curious and almost being an investigator or detective when it comes to solving problems. And that's what can drive you to find interesting and different ways of moving through the challenges of growing a business and not being burned out. And that is also the case for our guest today. Corey Sue Morris is a serial entrepreneur with two successful exits. She is the founder of Retreat, which is a holistic healthcare platform providing integrative medical, therapeutic, and spiritual healthcare all in one place. She started this business as a micro dosing platform for content community and concierge medicine for mushroom curious women seeking support for holistic solutions. And in the episode, our conversation really ebbed and flowed in her curiosity in all of her businesses and how she solved problems and her journey with microdosing and how it can help more people more of the time. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed talking with Corey Sue Morris. And an announcement, this is going to be our last episode for a little while. Don't worry, we will be back. But after 94 consecutive episodes, I decided to take a little break so that we can continue to grow and get better. So if you haven't listened to all of the previous episodes of Women Who Build Empires, make sure you go back and check some of those out. There are all sorts of incredible learnings, conversations, and women to connect with, and we will see you in the next couple of months. Hey, Corey, I am so excited to have you here today. We had such a cool conversation um, just now before I hit record, but in our pre-interview call, and I've been eagerly awaiting for us to be able to dive into everything that you do, but your journey as an entrepreneur. So if you don't mind, share with everybody a little bit about who you are. Amy, thank you so much for having me. It does sort of feel like it's been a long time coming now. So appreciate your patience. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am a serial entrepreneur. I've and small business owner. I've, uh, I think, built my businesses with intention, but also sort of by accident. And, and they've all inadvertently started in helping women with one thing or another. Um, my first business uh, was a cheeky little media company called Bitches Who Brunch. Um, I don't know if you'll have to bleep that out, but it started by accident. Um, 
I was 22 and living in Washington, D.C., and I just left a job at a, at a magazine. And my girlfriend and I just started, you know, writing. We, we had magazine journalism degrees and people were always asking me what to wear to the office and then to go on and do a dinner date and where to go to brunch. And um, so we really spun up this website, but then built that over, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And then at the end of it, we were looking at, you know, a million monthly readers and women coming to us in, you know, three different cities for recommendations and 15 female employees. Um, so it was a really exciting journey and obviously a lot of fun um, to make brunch and fashion and travel your life um, in your 20s. And then, you know, second business, women started coming to me and said, hey, you know, you've really built your brand, you're helping, you know, such and such business grow. Can you help sort of my business grow? I said, well, we're a media company, but, um, you know, I can certainly help you. And so then I sort of started a marketing agency helping primarily women um, who owned everything from restaurants to to wedding planners to sort of early stage startups, building out their website, their story, their marketing um, plans. And then uh, now I run a, a company helping women use psychedelic medicine for mental health. And I had, that sort of started organically too. I started talking about how psychedelic medicine has been really transformative for my mental health. And Instagram, I started talking about dr drugs on LinkedIn and people started saying, oh, I, I'm interested in, in mushrooms. I'm interested in holistic solutions. Can you help me? And it was sort of this, once you start talking about it openly, people kind of come out of the woodwork and are like, oh, wow, I, I need help with that too, or that really resonates with me. So that's kind of a winding road of how I got from here to there <laughs> so far. <And laughs> where did your interest in psychedelic medicine and microdosing come from or, or how did it start? It started um, as most from out of need and out of curiosity. So I it started with functional mushrooms, which there's basically three types of mushrooms broadly. Well, there's thousands and thousands of different types, but three categories. There's, you know, dinner table mushrooms that you find on your plate, like shiitake and portobello. So functional mushrooms are nootropics, adaptogens are sort of synonyms, and they have a sort of healing power or function. And it's typically um, related to your endocrine system. So, you know, helping reset stress levels and whatnot. And then there's psychedelic mushrooms, which have a effect on your brain. And I was, I had exited both of my companies in 2018. I sold the media company 7X Multiple, which I thought was pretty cheeky um, at the time. And then I rolled up my marketing agency into a larger agency. And I knew I, we can talk about that later, but I knew I was ready to do something else, but I didn't know what. So I, marketing is my skill set. So I went to go get later stage startup experience at WeWork and sort of see what it would be like to work for someone else for a while and lick my wounds of entrepreneurship. And six months into my tenure at WeWork, the um, IPO kind of exploded. And, um, you know, you might've seen the movies, Adam Newman, all of, all of the drama of WeWork and it really took a toll on my health. I started waking up in the morning in debilitating pain. My back hurt, my head hurt. I was super inflamed. I was breaking out in hives and rashes and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I went to a number of doctors. Then ultimately my acupuncturist was recommended functional mushrooms. And I realized, you know, with testing on like DIY testing, like, at, you know, at home testing kits that my cortisol levels were physically, my stress was physically ma manifesting itself as pain and inflammation. And I 
use functional mushrooms as a tool to regulate my hormones. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. Like I you know, took a test and then I used mushrooms and acupuncture for three to four months. And then I took another test and I had regulated my hormones, brought my stress levels down significantly. And then I just went down the rabbit hole of mushrooms generally. And I read about psychedelic mushrooms for 18 months before I touched them. And I, I had to unpack all this sort of societal information, right? Like I'm not a hippie. My, if I do psychedelics, right. I'm going to hallucinate and jump off a building. Like I'm going to disown me. Um, and a sort of all this like fear and shame. And, you know, my first mushroom experience was so fun and it was so special and it was magical. And, you know, maybe that's why they call them magic mushrooms. Right. But it was nothing scary or, or bad. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, these can be really healing, right. When the months and weeks after I was joyful, I had, you know, seen and experienced things and was able to sort of reframe how I go through life based on this experience, right. You're able to sort of reflect on things in a different way, bad habits, you know, things that were blocking me and personal relationships in my life. And I, I, you know, I'm bought in. So I really realized and, and starting to speak about this openly that a lot of people are curious about, about psychedelic mushroom, but there is this like fear and shame and all of the societal beliefs that we kind of have to work through in order to yeah. get there for yeah. most of us. So. What? I have so many questions. Once you started to get into the whole like psychedelic experience from, from a medicinal standpoint, what was the next step for you? And like, oh, let me start a company. Cause you could have just hung out. <laughs> Always starting companies. It's like, I, I, I think that's just, um, I like to be helpful and I like to build things. And that's been my sort of thorough path my whole life. And, you know, my heroes have always been female entrepreneurs and that have sort of broken down barriers. Right. So that's, that's sort of how I'm motivated. I think the trick is for me with my third company was to really make sure that it was the right company and structured. Cause at this point I know I can build something, but making sure that it has the sort of the scale and the intent. So yeah, I, I, I knew that there was something there um, in terms of, of being helpful and, and being able to help a lot of people with psychedelics because it's an exciting space. But also just when I started talking about it openly, the women started coming to me in droves and it was like, what do you think it could yeah. help me? Like, you know? And it was just so, so sort of clear. And, and, and I also, when I first started trying to get information around psychedelics and find a trusted healer and, and talk to people about it. It felt very like surreptitious and like I was doing something wrong. And, you know, you've got to find somebody on signal to find a retreat in Costa Rica. And the whole thing feels very sort of underground and obviously, and I was like, how do we normalize this as we're seeing the regulatory landscape change very quickly and create, you know, at least a space for conversation. And then now a space for care for people that feels safe um, and open and, and honest. Um, and so that was kind of the, the gut instinct. And then I've been kind of building, yeah. building from so there. You started retreat and I was on your website when I was doing research and what I love about your model is that it's, you have a very integrated approach. So can you um, share like what that is and why you put those three pieces together? 
Yeah. So we started with, you know, education and content because that's my background. And then we launched microdosing coaching. Um, so for those people who are curious about microdosing, we set you up with a coach, whether that's a health coach, a life coach, um, and you can set kind of set those goals and we kind of match you with the right person. And we utilize microdosing as a, as a tool to drive, to drive change with the support of working with a coach. Um, but what we're building towards and looking at launching in the fall is really a holistic healthcare platform. And, you know, those three parts that you referenced is um, an integrative medicine doctor. So primary care provider who is a traditional Western doctor with a degree in integrative medicine and uh, psychedelic medical education as well, a, a therapist, and then a spiritual holistic coach. So for a kind of three-pronged approach to true healing, mind, body, and spirit, I think that came from, first of all, when you start doing psychedelics, even if you're not practicing any specific religion or you are, I think it's almost impossible to not become more spiritual because you feel so much more connected um, and you see and feel that connection to something bigger than yourself, whatever that might be and what that might mean to you. And that's certainly true of, of my experience. And then in looking at the sort of Western model, we treat everything as sort of like a flaw or an illness, right? You're an addict. There's something wrong with you. You drink too much. There's something wrong with you. You're depressed. There's something wrong with you. And I think psychedelics actually help you work through, you know, what is that trauma that drove you you know, obviously there's a physiological piece, but drove you to drink, drove you to have addictive tendencies. And how do we heal you from the inside out so that you do stop drinking so much or smoking, or we can work through your depression, or it could be something even more benign, like limiting beliefs, right? Like you don't believe you're good enough. So you're not going to go out and start that company or quit that job or leave that person. And so I'm really excited um, and feel really confident in a, in a model that takes into account sort of a, a kind <laughs> and spiritual yeah. way. To, to and that's what people. I found so fascinating was you have like everything in one place. Working towards you know, small and, and slow, right? So we're, we're building, we have our doctor, our coach and our therapist, a, a team of three. Again, they're all have their Western credentials as well as a psychedelic education and then, you know, starting with a handful of people, of women primarily in September, looking at sort of the first model of care. And right now we're doing a number of like small groups of, of people because scaling healthcare is obviously something you need to be really cautious and mindful. So right now we're building out clinical protocols for things like a lot of women want to get off their antidepressants. People are curious about the benefits of microdosing and ADHD. Um, but these are things that need to be sort of built, built slowly and with intention. Um, and you see that go wrong in a lot of startups. And I, I don't think that mental health is something that you can scale quickly, quickly. Like you want to be, we want to be fast enough for our investors, but we want to be slow enough for our ethics and then providing high quality care. So that's a balance that yeah, I walk yeah. almost daily. Well, and I think your timing, whether intentional or not is perfect because I mean, we are in a highly anxious um, overwhelmed, burned out, stressed out, exhausted, not healthy existence in general. Um, I would say almost a mental health crisis. And for me, at least the traditional ways of dealing with that don't solve the problems. 
you know, I don't know that the pharmaceutical companies yeah. want to solve the problem, right? right. Do they, well, they want to make I've been it? saying that for 10 years. <laughs> like I started this business as a health coach. And one of the things after spending almost a decade reading, learning, educating myself, practicing um, for a few years was that there's no money in being healthy for like, it would significantly affect the GDP of this country if we were all healthy. Well, yeah. Cause it's more yeah. than just the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary and it's broken. And then that's another thing I think about, right? Like how do we make sure big picture that we're creating an amicable relationship with the traditional ecosystem yeah. so that we can still operate within them, right? Insurance providers, pharmaceutical companies. There, there are a lot of people that do need antidepressants to take that example, right? But then there are a lot of people that have been overprescribed antidepressants and we just had to redo our right. clinical intake as an example, right? Because weaning someone off of antidepressants when they had postpartum and they were overprescribed Zoloft is very different than someone who has right. you know, a chemical imbalance and they've been working. So um, just things like that. There's a, a lot of interesting conversations we've been having internally. Um, but yeah, to, you know, we're in a global mental health crisis with 50 million Americans that have diagnosed mental health conditions. But then there are a lot of people that most people just want to live more joyfully and more grounded. And I think certainly, you know, low grade anxiety, which is what I definitely deal with and just feeling unmoored uh, is definitely something that's so common. Yeah, right I agree. Now, so. And, and that's what I love about your approach is it's not like, let's just get rid of the antidepressants or whatever medications. It's how are we helping you become the best version of you and in a way that's thoughtful and in integrity and has long lasting results. The goal, I think what's really special is that the journey is never over, right? That I like, you know, you want, when you first start psychedelic medicine, as an example, it's like, Oh, I, you know, went on an ayahuasca trip and then my life was changed. Right. And then that's like the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Right. And something I'm really excited about is we provide the surrounding care and infrastructure for people that are doing things and like that and for people who aren't, right? Because the change comes in the day-to-day, -day, right? After you have that revelatory experience, whether that is through psychedelics or just like, I can't handle this anymore. I want to get off my meds or I want to be better and I want to change X, Y, and Z or I want to stop smoking, whatever that might be. Um, and the day-to-day -day is where the change happens. And as you know, as a health coach, right, you need that support and that community and plus the, the data and the information that comes with sort of the Western model of looking at like why, you know, why these things are yeah. happening. Well, and it's, I think the more we talk about it, the more it doesn't have to be that whisper of like, oh, can you help me too? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about like the concept of shame and how much we sort of shame ourselves and society shames us into, you know, thinking that something is, is wrong, whether that's psychedelic medicine or talking openly about mental health. I think that's mm -hmm. changing quite quickly, but I sort of like had this revelation that women have sort of been shamed into silence about so much from like yeah. our periods to menopause to, you know, being unhappy um, for, for decades. And I think there's probably a lot of structures that wanted it that way. And I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not okay with that. So that's just something yeah, I have as well, because it, I see so many parallels in different areas where 
there's fear, shame, guilt. Um, I want to say like a disowning of who we are as women. And for me, that goes back like historically for centuries. And it's you know, about power and control. Yes. And that fear, that shame and that guilt, you know, leads to an inability to make decisions, which leads to, you know, questioning yourself, which is sort of how, if you were trying to control a category of people, that's what you would want them to do. You want them to question themselves all of the time, right? So um, creating communities and support systems where you can speak openly about these things is really... I'd love to shift gears a little bit and circle back into kind of your earlier career with the first two businesses. When did you know that it was time to make a change? Yeah, so I started my media company, Bitches Who Brunch, with a with a girlfriend, and we built that over seven, eight years. And it was so fun, right? It was, I think it was back well, actually before everybody was a blogger and um it was in sort of internet 2.1. People, Twitter was still a happy place. <laughs> TikTok didn't exist. Um and we were journalists, so we loved writing about food and, you know, sort of like female Anthony Bourdain's, not that, you know, could ever hold a candle yeah. to Anthony Bourdain, but like writing about food and um, traveling everywhere and really being this resource. And it was amazing to be able to build what you love. But small business is hard, right? Um, you do everything yourself, with you know, right? Everything from accounting to invoicing to team management to HR reports. And our, one thing that's funny is, uh, you know, bitches brunch was trademarked and we had the titles, the social media manager was like social bitch. And so we had to have like in our contracts that you couldn't get like defamed for being using that official title, right? Things like that, that you like really learn when you have a, and you know, a negotiating exit for a company with the curse word in the name. There was a lot of fun things in hindsight, but um, yeah, I mean, there's just a tension between my business partner and I, she really wanted it to be this hobby and it continued to grow. And for me, it was sort of my blood, sweat and tears. And we navigated that for a really long time amicably, but um, I wanted to keep growing it, which I did kind of thing. Um, and we'd continue to be offered investment because, um, you know, VC saw opportunity in regional media at the time and sort of the stickiness of our audience. And then we'd also, you know, been approached by a number of M&A deals. And ultimately it was a compounding factors. One was just this tension, right? You can really agree on values. You can agree on the business. You can agree on how you manage teams. But if you're as a co-founder at odds right. with the scale and pace you want to grow, that's going to be a constant tension. And so that was a huge deciding factor. I think another piece was, media changes so, so quickly, which is such an exciting industry, but everybody was like watching videos and and nobody was reading anymore. And I'm a writer and loved the photography element and sort of saw the way the influencer landscape was going. And, you know, like kind of a lack of quality there. Like when we would go in and review restaurants, we'd always tip 22% and we were really respectful. And now you sort of see everybody in these restaurants and there's like no respect for the people working there and just different things like that. I didn't want to be kind of uh, like a influencer right. free will. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and then I sort of thought about, yeah, I've been the, the brunch girl for uh, eight years. Did I want to do that, you know, 10, 20 years from now? So I think ultimately I 
wanted to end on a high note um, and have sort of a, a closure. And so a lot of people say, oh, you were like, you used to brunch for a living and travel and you gave that up. And I was like, yeah, but I was able to sort of have a, a like close the chapter, right? Like found a buyer, negotiated a deal. We both got paid. The girls that wanted to stay on with the new buyer were able to, I consulted to kind of set everything up for six months after that. And I was able to kind of have that win and that closure. And then I stopped eating cold eggs. So, you know, after like, <laughs> always going to a restaurant and, uh, you know, and there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You go to, you go to brunch, you take photos, then you take videos for Instagram, then you write notes. And then by the time you finished all of that, you're sort of egg Benedict or cold. So um, it took me a little while, but now I go back to brunch and I don't feel like I have to work um, during my meal, which is a, is a fun thing to do so voluntarily. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've had cold eggs, not the same. No, not the same for sure. Yeah, that's too funny. So was there a moment where you're like, all right, it's time to sell? Yeah, there was. I think it was, you know, after getting approached a few times um, and wanting to wanting to build and feeling like held back, right? Like I'm a slingshot. I've got, we talked about this earlier, tons, tons of energy and wanting I think for most entrepreneurs, at least for me, when you're building, you want to keep going, right? You want to be, it's like building a skyscraper. You want to keep going. And so being able to feel like feeling held back, I didn't want to have sort of any, any resentment. And then also I was really enjoying building my marketing agency as well, right? I was working with all these female founders and that felt like an infinite amount of, of opportunity. And so, um, yeah, made that, made that exit and, um, also moved to New York. So I had a lot of like changes at that time. It's like, okay, I'm ready to leave DC, close this chapter, no longer be the brunch girl, you know, end on the high note, tie it up with a bow. Um, and that was intentional, but really, really, it was really scary. Cause I was like, I lived in DC for nine years. Everybody had a big community there, um, you know, and this was my life. And it took a couple of, of years to, to, figure out what I wanted to do next, right? Like, what do I talk about when I'm not talking about brunch? Now I always talk about mushrooms all the time, but for a while there, I didn't know what I was going to talk about. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it is scary because change is scary. Yeah. Change is really scary. And at that time I'd had a lot of change, but even if you have worked on something like being open to change, open to failure, things that you have to do if you're really going to do the entrepreneurial path. It was, it was still, still really scary. Yeah. Were there parts of it that you embraced and you're like, all right, I, you know, feeling the fear and I'm also super excited about this new experience that I'm creating. Yeah. I think, you know, my mom was like, why are you moving to New York when DC you know, when you've got this like safe community and and you know, everybody and, you know, your boy, my boyfriend now husband was living in DC. And I was like, I just, I want to do something new. I want to be anonymous in New York city. I want to be just another marketing girl in New York city and try that on for size. Right. And I like, I knew that it was going to be really, really hard. Uh, like there's one thing to visit New York city, but like finding an apartment and going through that with yeah. the brokers if navigating the subway, like it, it's hard. And some it takes, I think it takes three to five years to get used to New York city. It's a, and so I'm, yeah, it, it's a different energy. Like I love New York city and I don't think I could live there, but the visiting for three to five days is 
fantastic. But to your point, there's so much to experience in a very different way because it's all these people and the subway makes sense, but it takes a little while for it to make sense. It, it really does. And so I knew in moving to New York that it was going to be hard. I know that giving up all this like fabulous fun stuff, right? When you're an influencer, people send you clothes in the mail and people invite you to parties and it, it, it's all very ego driven. And it was really, really cool. And I, I enjoyed it, right? I love clothes. I love parties, but um, I also knew that that was not sustainable, right? I wanted to sort of make my own business and I don't, you know, I just, I wanted to be able to do things of my own accord. And I, one thing I think is challenging about like influencer life is the authenticity, right? Like, do you actually like that shirt or did did somebody just pay you to wear that shirt? And I think I wanted to live in integrity with myself and sort of how I'm communicating publicly. I wanted a new challenge. I wanted the humility candidly that came with moving to New York city. And a lot of people don't want that, right? They want to move to the suburbs where you drive your car and you don't have to wait in line and that's perfectly fine. But for me, I would really wanted the change and difficulty. And I knew that going into it. And I talk about this one experience, right? I moved from a building with a washer and dryer in Washington, DC and you know, tree line street. And it was beautiful. And I moved to New York and I had like a third floor walk up. There was like, <laughs> that there was mice in the basement. I, um, was commuting back and forth to DC because I had clients in DC and my boyfriend at the time. And so I was always schlepping luggage and I lived just one block out of the radius for delivery from the laundromat. So I had to carry like five pounds of laundry, you know, to and from um, the wash and fold. And I had a like a big important client meeting and I'd gotten a blowout and I was picking up my laundry and I was just like schlepping it. And then it started like pouring rain. I didn't have an umbrella and I had all this clean laundry and like new hair. And I had a meeting in an hour and it was just downpouring. And I remember just like hysterically crying, but I was like, you, you asked for this. Like this was the choice that you consciously made and you knew stuff like this was going to happen. And this is kind of what makes life rich. So um, having that perspective is, was. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, somebody that said doing everything in New York is like just more difficult because it's an older city and there's older buildings and older building yeah, problems it, and older building or older city streets. And yeah. And, and, if, and you know, you right now it's what it's like 90 degrees outside. And every time I leave the house, I have to wash down myself and the dog, right? You have like subway clothes and you have regular clothes, right? And it's almost like it's, I get inside and it's like, take off my pants and clean the dog's feet, like take off your shoes kind of thing because you don't want anything in your house that's kind of touched the subway. So that's definitely not not for everyone. But yeah. everyone in New York takes the subway, which I think it's like sort of the great unifier. It's like, you know, regardless of where you live, where, what your income is, I think typically you take take the subway because it's just efficient. And I, I like that again. Yeah. So it's not forever, but I like it. No, no, but I, I have an appreciation for that and that lifestyle because there's an aspect of it that's fun too. Like figuring out how to make it all work for me at least is fun. Kind of parallels life because there's always challenges. So if you can figure out yeah. how to navigate the subway or other aspects of New York, you can navigate anything. Yeah, it, it, it's good. And and now, you know, worked hard a couple of years later. I have a washer dryer now, like in the <laughs> central air, right? It's like, it makes you really grateful for these things, right? Like yeah. we, 
worked hard and got married. We both work hard and it's like, we have a washer dryer in our unit. And it's like, I will take that luxury and, and just be grateful for it every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I want to shift gears again a little bit and just like, you are super passionate about helping women. Where would you like to see women from a leadership, healthcare, self-worth, like whatever that those things are that really drive you? How do you see yourself impacting change? On a sort of broad perspective, I think the last, I mean, maybe, maybe this is obviously just biased by my perspective, right? I'm in my mid thirties. I've seen like a really big change in conversation around in my friend group in in my community around this sort of like how you make decisions right and it's like this awake this awakening that maybe comes it's happening right now societally or maybe that's just happening generationally where I am in life but like how much we used to do because we thought we had to right like I had to curl my hair I had to go on this date because a man asked me you know just making decisions because of you and grounded in your intention versus because someone, a boss, society, a man, um, a magazine told you to, I think this sort of like, I feel like there's an awakening to, we're all kind of being not brainwashed, but told we needed to be a certain way. And I think there's, I want to see, and societally, right. You're thinking about that with gender expression, sexuality, all of that. Like, I think an unapologetic, this is who I am, whether you're a non-binary person, a woman, whoever, whoever that might be, that is really exciting to me. And it's like the self-acceptance angle, I guess I would say, of, of you and your authentic self, whatever that might be, is what I want for, for everyone, but particularly for, for women. Um, and then one thing I would like to see change, and that's going to take some time because it involves men, <laughs> is this like... I was at a, I was at a JP Morgan for a women's health investor panel last night. And a lot of the conversation was like menopause is a huge market opportunity, but you go to, you know, a male investor and they still need to understand like why menopause, you need to explain the data, why menopause is a huge market opportunity. Well, it's 50% of the population. (laughs) And then it's like, you can spend decades in menopause, right? It's like in your forties, fifties, you live for 40 more years, like that's a huge care opportunity when you're thinking about it from, from that, right? And so it's it's kind of funny that you you still in 2023, I hear these conversations from female founders, from female investors that like men are still bringing in like, oh, let me ask my wife or let me ask the secretary, like, let me ask my wife if menopause is actually a thing. And you're like, what? Yeah, well, <laughs> so I was going to say, being uh, in it right now, yes, it is <laughs> more than I anticipated. <laughs> Right. And I think that comes from, right, there's a connection there, right? A self-acceptance and an honesty for you to be able to feel a lack of shame about about that and to be able to talk about that in your community and the men in your life and the people in your life will start to think, oh, wow, that is that is a thing. And maybe there is an opportunity, not just for the investor, but to provide care to people in that phase of life or whatever that might be. And I think this startup investment space, the health tech space, I'm in these conversations and um, you often still have to frame it from the market opportunity, but opening up the doors of like caring for underserved communities. And I think it's still shocking that women are an underserved community, but in the health space, it it really, really is. So that's one thing, the lack of shame, the self-acceptance, and then, you know, recognizing that our healthcare system does not serve 
women, you know, you see it uh, with child, everything from childbirth to, to menopause. And so oh, yeah. um, I'm really excited about the female founders that are building in the healthcare space, but I'm still really frustrated by the fact that they still have to go to men for investment and the men still, you know, largely don't understand why. Yeah. 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 So that's just put more capital in women's hands is the last thing I will say, right? I'm building a business. My fifth iteration of life, I hope is going to be a a fund that invests in female founders because there are reverberating effects when you put more capital in the hands of women. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, when women make more money in general, we reinvest it into the economy in ways that support growth and development for more people in more different ways. Yeah, it's it's just astounding, right? Because the women are so community driven and we see the world differently, right? I certainly see the connection through it. So I think when you literally, I see it myself, you know, I versus like how my husband spends, he's very generous with it. Like I put some money in my 401k and then I like, you know, tip the person, I go get from, from the small business and I tip the cleaning lady and I, you know, do all the different things to like, be a, you know, it just, I just, yeah, you want to give your money to your local community in every way, shape or form. I think about that with the recession. I was like, which small businesses am I going to try to like continue to go to when everybody's cutting costs because inflation is driving? And I was like, the, do I still want to do my dry cleaning? Like I remember during COVID, I wasn't, I was wearing sweatpants, but I loved the tailor and he'd been in business for like 45 years. So I was just going and tailoring all of these things out of my closet because I was like, the tailor needs to survive for another 10 years, right? Yeah. So I think we put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, I think it's really important. Even if you have to narrow some of the choices that you're making, supporting yeah. one person or two people is going to pay it forward more than more than you think. Yeah, I mean, I lost my one of my clients during COVID, but I so I, I did exactly that. I picked. I was like, I'm going to pick my my restaurants that I love and my tailor and this other small business, and I'm going to you know give whatever I have to keep them afloat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Corey, where can people get connected with you and learn more about retreat? Anyone is curious around microdosing or psychedelic medicine, our website is retreatmicrodose.com and we have a, a free guide. Um, so it's retreatmicrodose.com backslash free guide. So I encourage anyone um, who's curious about using psychedelic medicine for mental health to download that. We also have a free community where you can go and ask questions and connect with others, um, in a safe sort of transparent space. And, um, I'm Corey Sue on link, uh, on Instagram and Corey Sue Morris on LinkedIn. Um, but you can find all our social channels on our website and we would be happy to hear from you. Awesome. Awesome. And you also have a really cool offer for somebody who's ready to like take the next step with, um, it's 20% off. You had said of first month of, of microdosing coaching. So yeah. Share what that um, is too. Yeah. So we offer a, um, a monthly coaching subscription. You can cancel at any time, but for those of, who want their hand held through um, microdosing journey, we'll pair you with a coach um, who has a background in psychedelic medicine, as well as coaching. Um, and whether you're looking to sort of drive mental, physical, or emotional change, we'll pair you with the coach. We can set some goals and you'll work together. And I uh, do you work with a coach. I mean, I have found working with a coach trend, like transformative and from a business perspective yeah. and from a life perspective. Yeah. I so, actually just hired um, a new coach because it, I need that 
somebody outside of myself that's not attached to me on a daily basis to help just fill in those gaps and, and help get me to the next level. So I, I mean, as a business coach, as a former health coach, I truly believe that we all need coaching at some point and regularly, not just like once in a while, but to help us get to the places that we want to be at and to move through challenges of life. Yeah. It's a uh, coach. It could be transformative. I used to think yeah. like, I have no problem getting things done. I don't, what do I need a coach for? And then really just that mirror that's held in terms of how I have habits that are blocking me from, to your point, getting to the next level. Coaching has been really transformative. So yeah. But looking to pair coaching with microdosing, which can be a really incredible catalyst for change. Um, use the code empires um, for 20% off your first coaching pack. So. That's super exciting. Thank you. Cause that's such a generous offer. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm, I'm just so glad to spread the word and I love, love chatting with you. So thanks for letting me come here and, and hopefully this is helpful to some people. That's the goal here. It definitely is. Definitely. And also, oh, you shared your website. I'm trying to think of all the things that I forgot to ask you. It's like retreat, microdose.com free guide, join the coaching with empires you know, join in the conversation on LinkedIn. I always welcome new folks on social media to sort of see how we can connect. Yeah. And having just perused your Instagram, everybody should follow you there because you have some really cool content. Yeah. Trying to help people reduce stress and really step into our authentic selves. Right. That's the, that's the good thing about social media when you can actually be like authentic and, um, and show up for people and the good, the good side of all the of all the addiction okay. and bad stuff. Crazy. Yeah. So my Instagram feed is currently filled with weird dog videos. <laughs> my Instagram feed is hippos right now. My entire explore page is hippos. I don't know where that came from. I'm I guess I am having a hippo phase, but um there's some really good baby hippos on the internet. Yeah. So I can confirm. Yeah. And, and I love playing with the algorithm too because I've shifted it a couple of different times based on whatever my mood is, but right now and until I get my hands on that dog that I'm adopting. Uh, yeah, it's dog videos. <laughs> It'll be such a good experience for you. I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, it's good to have you, buddy. Corey, this has been such a cool conversation. I have such an appreciation for you, what you've built, what you're doing, your goals. So I'm really glad that we got to connect. Likewise, this was really special. Thank you for taking the time and for creating this community. Um, I'm very grateful to be included. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.